global crisis, Bible prophecy, health and preparedness. You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we want to surrender once again our preconceived notions and preferences and traditions to your throne, to your will. God, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and discernment as we consider how this area of music could have an impact in our lives for good or for evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is Todd Gardner, executive producer for the show. You've already heard Scott speak passionately about his Media on the Brain DVD series, educating people on how the entertainment industry and even our cell phone relationship is reprogramming our brains in negative ways. Well, we're excited to bring you some additional excerpts from the Media on the Brain series in today's radio broadcast. Welcome to part four of the Media on the Brain seminar, Musical Manipulation. How Satan Will Use Music to Deceive the Last Day Masses. This is the second segment in music in the Media on the Brain seminar. But in this session, we are not going to be looking at the music industry and the lyrics and the spiritualism within that popular music setting. But we're going to look at music itself. What are the effects of music upon physiology, upon neurology, upon spirituality? And how can we understand music as a mode of communication and as a control mechanism? I want to begin by pointing out an obvious fact, and that is that music is an ever-present reality in our lives. From the ball game to the worship service, the birthday party to the wedding, even the restaurant, the office, the job site, and the shopping center. Everywhere you go in American culture today, there is music. And I'm going to start with some good news about music today. The good news about music is that it's been shown in studies that IQ and test scores increase from healthy classical music and also frontal lobe function is improved from these forms of music. We also have found in studies that low birth weight babies exposed to healthy music develop more quickly than those babies that have no music played to them. So we learned in session three that music is very much a part of us, literally in our DNA, that it's who God is, is a musical God, and he's made us in his image. This music can benefit us tremendously. Also, Dr. Tomatis has found in his studies that sounds in the range of 5,000 to 8,000 hertz energize the brain. These are high-frequency sounds. He also found that the music that is the richest in these high-frequency sounds is that of Mozart. So again, there's some good news. If you're listening to some healthy classical music, Mozart, for example, it's energizing the brain. Now, there is some bad news on this slide, too. The low-frequency sounds, he found, were actually damaging to the body and the mind. He identified the low-pounding sounds in rock music as, quote, brain-drain sounds. So these low pounding sounds, the burr, 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 that guy next to you at the stoplight when he's got that bass booming and you're just going, boy, I'm going to roll my windows up. And, and the sounds of the city, how about, you know, a construction site, traffic, you know, the good news about that, though, is if you move into the country, if you spend some time in nature, you hear the birds chirping, you hear the, the sound of a bubbling brook. These higher frequency sounds are so healthy. God designed us to be in that sort of environment. And that's some good news about sound and about music. One more slide of good news. 
You read from David Tame that the concept that music affects character was one of the great inspiring force behind the lives of the great composers. So these men understood that music could be of a benefit to our character. And so on that note, let me start with some recommendations. You might have left part three of the seminar going, well, what do I listen to then? Here's some great suggestions. For example, wordoftruthradio.com has a streaming audio that you can listen to online or on your phone or whatever, and select the relaxing hymns station Beautiful, heavenly, sacred music. You know, I actually am not a big fan of classical music, but when I evaluate music, I don't just go based upon what I like. I ask myself the question, how is this music affecting me? Is it going to be beneficial to me and to others through me? Is this going to be glorifying to God? Is this going to bring me into a deeper relationship with Him, benefit my mind and character? These sorts of things. But we don't ask questions like that. Our deep thoughts on music, (laughs) deep, this is sarcastic, of course. We say things like, oh, I like it. It's cool. That's an awesome song. I like the beat. I like that melody or harmony. I like this or that style. I'm eclectic in my taste. My preferred worship style is such and such. We're not asking ourselves deep, serious questions about why I like these things. Or maybe if there's something that's in the music itself that the music is doing to me that it would also do to others. We don't ask ourselves so much that. We just ask a matter of preference questions. I want to ask, what is God's opinion on music? As one of the most prominent preachers said, did God make all forms of music? Does he like all forms of music? Are all forms of music acceptable for the Christian? Or is there an issue of moral quality to musical composition styles? And again, I'm not talking about lyrics here, but in this session we're talking about musical composition styles. I've been told that when it comes to art, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That it matters not what objective reality might have to say about an artistic truth. It's all relative. There is no artistic truth. Beauty is just a matter of personal preference and subjective value. But they are wrong in God's eyes. So how about music? Is music merely a matter of preference? Is music amoral? We've been told amoral means that there are no moral qualities to music. It's simply a matter of personal preference. For example, if I polled the audience here and I asked, how many of you prefer blueberries over strawberries? How many of you prefer strawberries over blueberries? We'd maybe get a 50-50 split. And as a preacher, I would not make an issue out of that. Blueberries are objectively the moral fruit for a Christian seed. No, I wouldn't do that because that's a matter of preference. Is music amoral, the style of music you use? Or is there something objective we can say that is universally applicable, that is objectively true in the area of musical style? Now, if you consult Christian musicians like Thomas Dorsey, they will tell you that musical style is completely amoral. We read the message is not in the music, but in the words of the song. It matters not what kind of movement the song has. If the words are Jesus, heaven, faith, and life, then you have a song with which God is pleased. That's the Christian musician point of view of today. Now let's contrast that with the secular scholar's point of view. Psychiatrist Dr. Howard Hansen says, Music is made up of many ingredients, and according to the proportion of these components, it can be soothing or invigorating, ennobling or vulgarizing. It has the powers for evil as well as good. So you're hearing from the scholarly community, the secular scientists are saying music has the power for evil or good. It's the Christian musicians 
by and large, who are saying that music is amoral. In fact, I've never heard from any source other than a Christian musician or somebody promoting contemporary Christian music. I've never heard from anybody other than them that music is amoral. Christians who believed that music was amoral and it was merely a matter of your personal preference said, you know, we can worship God to this. There were four thrash metal churches in Los Angeles where people would go into a mosh pit in so-called worship of God. If we believe that there is nothing objective we can say about music for good or for evil, then we have to accept that. We have to say, you know, maybe the angels worship like that in heaven with violence. I don't believe that. In fact, even the scholarly community does not believe that. Dr. Max Schoen concludes that music is not morally neutral. In the psychology of music, he writes, Music is the most powerful stimulus known among the perceptive senses. The medical, psychiatric, and other evidences for the non-neutrality of music is so overwhelming that it frankly amazes me that anyone should seriously say otherwise. But here we are being rebuked by people in the secular world. Uh, you know, the Bible says the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I have to agree that in this case, that must be the case. In fact, Frank Garlock of Majesty Music, who studied music in secular universities for many years, he has degrees in, in music, explains that it, of all the professors he ever had in the music departments of the biggest music schools in America, he never had one professor that believed music was amoral. I should clarify too at this point, I'm not denying that there is any subjective reality to music. To, in, in some instances and in some ways, things are a matter of personal taste and learned associations and cultural tendencies. There is an element of that in music. But we can't just stop there when thinking about music. Let's do a little Music 101 now so that we can understand music and the nature of music better. I like to begin with Dr. Manfred Kleins. He studied emotions, human expressions of emotions, and we actually now know what certain emotions sound like. How is that? Well, what he did was he had various people from different cultures express different emotions with facial expressions, vocal tones, body language, gestures, and what he did was he recorded all of these expressions of various emotions and he converted them into what's, what, this, what they sound like. And so we have anger, we have grief, we have love, joy, reverence, even sexual um, emotional expression. And he recorded all these and produced them into sounds. So we now know what emotions sound like. It's not just Manfred Kleins, we also have other scholars that talk about music as a tonal analog of emotive life. Another musician, Gordon Epperson, says it this way, music is the expression of emotions, an oral image of how they feel and how, how feelings feel and how they operate. So I have a question then. If music expresses human emotion, can music also control human emotion? Because if music is a control mechanism, then we very, very clearly entered into the sphere of morality, not amorality. And I'm going to do a little test with you right now to see if music can be a control mechanism. Can music actually control human emotion? Listen to this clip, and then after the clip is over, tell me how you feel. Okay, how do you feel at that point? Is that, is that something that you say, you know, I'm going to consider using that as a lullaby for my infant. 
No, universally, every time I share this with audiences, I hear tense, frightening, suspenseful, scared, feel like I want to run from something. And that is objectively true. That affects every human being in relatively the same manner with only minor variations. Now you might say, well, we only believe that, that it causes us to feel suspenseful because we've heard music like that played in suspenseful movies and so by association we view it as suspenseful. Well, here's a question though. How about people who've never heard that played in movies? Like Dr. Wolfgang Stefani, who played a clip like that at a music seminar he was doing and a little girl who never watched a suspenseful movie at the front row, she heard the music, she looked up at her mommy, she left her toys from the ground and crawled up on her mommy's lap scared. And why did they decide to put music like that in the very first suspenseful movie to begin with? Because it is suspenseful music. Why did they not put country music or classical music during the suspenseful scene? Universally, this affects everybody in the same way, with only minor variations or different ways of describing it in different words. Let's listen to one more. that make music make you feel depressed? No. Everybody universally feels a little more light, a little more happy, a little more joyful with that music. I had a hard time even keeping a straight face while I was playing. I just wanted to smile. Universally. And in fact, Dr. Norman Weinberger puts it even stronger. He says music is not just a control mechanism. It doesn't just control human emotions like other things do, but music can rapidly and powerfully set moods and do so in a way not easily attained by other means. He goes on and says our thinking and our behavior are colored by music, which seems to have direct and unconscious access to the brain substrates of much, if not all, of our individual lives. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. The average child beholds 200,000 acts of violence and 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature on television before they reach adulthood. And that doesn't even count video games. But it's not like I'm going to go out and do what I see acted out on the screen, so we say. Well, that old excuse doesn't hold up to the latest science. Recent research actually shows that what the eyes see, the brain interprets as if you are engaged in the act yourself. At every church I speak at, folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. The ancient Israelites reached the absolute pit of depravity in the Old Testament when they entered into idolatry and literally sacrificed their children to Molech. 
But aren't we doing the same today? When 50 million babies are killed in abortion procedures in the last 40 years. When we hand over our children to the media and the secular humanist schools to raise our children, we're outsourcing our parenting right into the hands of the enemy of souls. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now, more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and Friend Who would have thought that a lamb could Rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men Roger Moore, no. He is a former Satanist who was on the inside of a satanic secret society in Montreal, Canada for a number of years in the post-World War II era. He came out of that and revealed what was going on inside that community. And he witnessed people who had been oppressed by demonic spirits. And here's what he had to say about one woman who had been listening to popular music and it was altering her emotions. He says, the high priest of the satanic society said that the demon spirits love to play games with Christians. First of all, they love to move upon people's imaginations and to create strong feelings of anger, fear, love, and grief. They can create all these feelings in people, and people believe it's their own being. This is, there's something spiritual to this too. It's not just a scientific manipulation of the emotions. The demon spirits like to play upon people. And he said this in the context of a woman who was immersed in rock music, popular music. They like to create feelings in us that, and we end up thinking it's our own being. Let's go back to the scientific. Here's an anthropologist looking at the effects of music in society, in culture. The importance of music, as judged by the sheer ubiquity of its presence, is enormous. There is probably no other human cultural activity which is so all-pervasive and which reaches into, shapes, and often controls so much of human behavior. That's strong language from a secular scholar. There is nothing like music to control human behavior. So I pose the question, is music merely a reflection of human emotions, an expression of it, or can it actually control our emotions? These scholars go further and say, not only does it control our emotions, it controls our thinking and it controls our behavior. Well, this made me think a little bit about Back when I was a teenager, I used to enjoy a lot of the popular music. Me and my friends would ride down the road in our car with the music blaring loudly. And we'd be listening maybe to a song like Boston's More Than a Feeling. And we'd, we'd be thinking about, you know, some, some concept of love, some ballad from, from days gone by. And the thing was, though, we didn't have a girl, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, and, and, and we'd be listening to this music, there was no particular girl I was interested in, but I'd feel in love because of the music, more than a feeling, and I'd feel in love, you, you follow where I'm going with this, music can trick you into feeling something that's not real, 
And music can craft this neurological experience within us that's not based in reality. It's not based in my true beliefs and values and convictions. Well, me and my friend then after this got involved in charismatic worship styles in the Christian church where you get a very emotional experience in worship and the music drives it and you go to worship hoping that it'll be a particular song that they will play or, or I hope this worship leader is doing it because he does a really good job of getting me into that feeling. And you know what? When we go away from those worship services, I, I didn't study my Bible, witness to the truth, serve others. I go and live pretty much like everybody else did. There was nothing peculiar and unique and exceptional about the Christian life I was living, but I was feeling in love with the Lord when I was worshiping. And am I saying that all people who worship in these settings don't actually love the Lord? I'm not saying that. But for me and my friends, we did nothing different than the rest of the culture. We were not true Christians, but we thought we were. That's a scary thing that we have to think about with the worship styles in our churches. Are we tricking ourselves into feeling in love with the Lord when really we are not? And test that. Am I growing in the Lord? Am I loving the Word of God and loving the truth and studying it out and sharing the truth and serving others? If I am doing these things, then I can see that I've tested myself to see if I am in the Lord, as the Scriptures say. But if I see no growth and fruit in the spiritual experience I'm having, is it possible that the worship is just a fraud? Is it just a feeling? Is it nothing more than a feeling? Well, I have another question though. We now have established that music can dictate feelings to the listener. Can certain kinds of music then dictate unholy, unhealthy, or inappropriate feelings to the listener? In other words, does music impact the moral character? And if we go and consult the philosophers and scholars and thinkers of ages past, we find unanimity. They all believed the same thing. From China, we read, For changing people's manners and customs, there is nothing better than music. Confucius stated, if you would know if, pe if a people are well governed and if its laws are good or bad, examine the music it practices. So you see here from these two ancient thinkers that, look, people's manners and customs and laws is all going to be a reflection of the kind of music they listen to. Music has a major power in the individual life and in the society. Boethius, a Roman philosopher, said music is a part of us and either ennobles or degrades our behavior. And these, these scholars are not talking about Jay-Z and, 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 and uh, Ozzy Osbourne and the Beatles. They're talking about musical style. They're not talking about the spiritualism in music, the lyrics, the Crowleyan philosophy. This was, this was millennia before Aleister Crowley. They're saying, look, music, the style you listen to can degrade your behavior or ennoble your behavior. More of them. Here we have Socrates. When modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state always change with them. We also have Aristotle. Music directly imitates the passions or states of the soul. Listen to this. Passions or states of the soul. That's emotions. We already covered that, right? So here are some emotions. Gentleness, anger, courage, temperance, and their opposites. And other qualities. So music imitates these, these emotions. And their opposites, so good and bad ones. And if over a long period of time he habitually listens to the kind of music that rouses ennoble passions, his whole character will be shaped to ennoble form. So according to these ancient people, they knew that certain kinds of music will actually shape our character to be ennoble, to be, to be immoral, we would call it. And Dr. Manfred Kleins, of course, has discovered the very same thing.
Let's talk about what Klein's actually discovered when he created these, these scentic forms, as he called them. These were the emotional expressions and the musical sounds that were derived from these emotional expressions that we talked about earlier. Five different emotions, joy, reverence, anger, grief, and sex. I'm going to mimic the sounds of some of these, obviously not all of them. I will only show the sounds of the first four. The joy sound, when people express joy with, with facial expressions, body gestures, and, and so on, and he recorded that and converted it into a musical pulse or tone, the joy sound was very light. It was very, boom, like that. Sounded like, boom. The reverence sound was very long and drawn out. It was a more serious tone. You hear it and you, you oh, yeah, that's reverence. Oh, like that. The anger sound was more of a driving, punching sound. It was like, boom. And the grief sounds like, if you've ever heard wailing in some cultures at, at, at funerals, it was like, like that. So these are what the sounds of emotion sound like scientifically produced in laboratory. Now I'm going to sing a few songs for you without lyrics. And you'll have to pardon me because I'm not a professional singer, so bear with me. But I want to sing a couple of songs and I want you to tell me what musical expression I am expressing through the music, not through the lyrics. I'm going to begin with Now which of those joy, reverence, anger, grief or sex was that? It was very bouncy, wasn't it? That was joy. What was the name of that song, by the way? Ode to Joy. You see, these composers knew how to match the words with the sound. I'm going to do another one now. And uh, by the way, on, on the sexual one, if you've ever heard a very sort of breathy singing or, or kind of a moany singing, and what's very popular these days is kind of like a, a voice cracking moan before they hit the note, you'll hear these things and it'll kind of just hit you. You'll notice that's a sexual form of singing. Let me try another one. Which of the five scentic forms was that? That was reverence, wasn't it? And you know the lyrics of that song are reverent lyrics. Holy, holy, holy. We should sing holiness in the way we express the music in addition to the words. I'm going to do another one now. This is a contemporary one. I want to be clear that I would never want to present anything that would suggest that contemporary is bad and old is good. There is a tendency for most of the contemporary stuff to be a little, uh, a little, little not like what we're talking now and the older stuff to be better. But just because it's contemporary doesn't make it bad. Here's a contemporary one. The way I'm going to sing it, listen closely. Ba-da-ba-da Ba-da-ba-da did you hear the reverence again? The longer, drawn-out tones? The words to that, by the way, were in the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness, you are there. Beautiful words, and the way I just sang it matched the words. Now, you've heard joy, you've heard holiness. This is one of my favorites because it combines joy and holiness. This one's a little harder to sing. I'll do my best. What was that? That was joy again, wasn't it? It was very bouncy. Jesu, joy of man's desiring. Perfect match, the lyrics and the song. 
But then there's a, there's a second melody that goes into that song. Ba, 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 ba. Beautiful combination of the joy and the reverence that we can sense thinking about the presence of Jesus, the joy of man's desiring, which brings a reverent tone out of us as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, one more. This is, this is a, another hymn. I'm not going to sing the lyrics, but listen to the tone of it and tell me which centic form of these five, joy, reverence, anger, grief, or sex. Da, ba, da, 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 da. You kind of heard the falling notes, didn't you? Did you hear the grief in that? Oh, sacred head now wounded. It's a, it's a song about the, the tragedy of the cross and what that was like for Jesus. It's a grief song. Certainly there's joy and reverence in the cross. There's so many different expressions in that. But that song expresses the grief of it so well. The words and the music match. Secular musicians, when they talk about how, when the music and the lyrics don't match up, they call it aesthetically false. It's just, it's, it's incongruent. It's, it's in contradiction. And if secular people can rec- recognize that there is a falsehood in music, there, there is a true and a false, we Christians who are holding the banner of truth high ought to be able to say, you know what, that's aesthetically false. Anger. <laughs> And then I don't even want to mimic the sound of the the, the voice before the lyrics. It's not just my opinion. I want to consult the top musicologists of the 20th century in my assessment 